go to college, get a degree, get a job, retire at 65. This is a life most of our parents led and taught us to repeat. In fact, those of us who dared to venture away from this template were thought to be crazy, lazy, or stupid. Resumes are sent out to headhunters and job sites like ZipRecruiter and Monster are flooded with the desperate seeking a J-O-B. Yet, even in secure jobs with a pension, the few that may still exist, many feel empty and unfulfilled despite the great pay, benefits, and the corporate optic. A great many may even have an idea cross their mind or an opportunity fall into their lap. And after mulling the idea wistfully around for a few moments, fear takes over and they talk themselves right back into the nine to five grind. It is the only template they know. It is the program their families endorse. To do anything else is a flight of fancy. Even with the gig economy in full stream, there are many who cannot embrace the independent contractor or entrepreneur lifestyle. Yet for some, there is a nagging feeling that there's something more or something else they should be doing with their life. So here are my Trudy's, Trudy's four tips to having a life you're excited to wake up to every morning. So four tips, ready? Number one, acknowledge the call that you feel to the purposeful adventure. Number two, find an influencer who is doing something similar and review their content style and strategies. Number three, identify your Pharaoh. Number four, and very important, take an immediate step toward it, even the tiniest baby step in that direction. So that was a list. And a list is kind of like a skeleton without context. So bear with me as I put some meat on the bones of these four tips. Those of you who know me know that I will find and share a Bible reference for my position on this topic. Well, the Bible has a well-known story of someone in a similar quandary, sort of. Let's head over to Exodus 3 and 4, and I want you to read it later so you get the whole picture. Well, we pick up this story when Moses is in Midian country. By this time, he's married, and he has a job of being a shepherd. Now, this is a life he's been reduced to after fleeing his cushy, princely, princely lifestyle in the Egyptian palace because he killed an Egyptian that was bullying a fellow Israelite. So all these years passes and Moses keeps his nose clean and digs into his repetitious, no glory, no corporate ladder to climb, low paying job, and he carves out a survival existence in the desert. But God was about to give Moses a burning bush. God called Moses to an adventurous, purposeful 
future. Exodus 3, 9 through 10, Exodus 3 verses 9 through 10 says, I have indeed heard the cry of my people, and I see now, I see how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now I am sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people out of his country. So as I share this with you, you know, especially the story of Moses, see if any of his story feels relevant to you. So God has called Moses to an adventurous, purposeful future. Well, guess what Moses does? Moses argues with God about the call on his life. Guilty. Moses argues with God about the call on his life. Exodus 4 verse 1, Moses said, No, Lord, don't send me. I've never been a good speaker. I haven't been, I haven't been one since you since you began to speak to me. I'm a poor, slow, I'm a poor speaker, slow and hesitant. Um, in, other, uh, in other versions, it said that he stuttered, he stammered, okay? So Moses is arguing with God about the call on his life. Uh, people, I know a lot of you have felt something and you, you logically walk, talk it away, right? You say, this doesn't make any sense. You just like, it, you, it doesn't, all right. We've done that. We've argued with God. The next thing is that Moses thinks God made a mistake in his choice of leader. Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, I'm nobody. Number four, Moses is scared of Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh represents the obvious challenges in executing this vision. Exodus 3 verse 11, the last half of it says, how can I go to the king to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's scared of this king. He killed the fellow Israelite. He ran away because he knew they would kill him in exchange. And he stayed away for all this time. He does not want to face Pharaoh. Next, Moses feels sure that those he's called to lead and to serve won't even listen to him. <laughs> he feels sure they won't listen to him. Exodus 4.1, then Moses answered the Lord, but suppose the Israelites do not believe me and will not listen to what I say. What shall I do if they say you did not appear to me? Guys, any of you have felt any of these things? I know when I started, I was like, who's gonna listen to me? The topics that I talk about, there are big names in the industry, big names. So who is going to listen to me? Trust me, I know this experience. So who else can raise their hand because they, you have went through or are you're going through some of these very feelings right now about your God-given ministry, your God-given mission? So even though life as a shepherd in the backwoods of Midian seemed blah, leaving the lackluster and the frustration of the known for the adventure zone feels like choosing between a rock and a hard place. So how do we shift from blah to yippee? How do we enjoy a life that we're excited to wake up to? So I won't pretend to be an expert on this result, but I will share my insight because having gone through these experiences, I now have a life that I need neither an escape from nor a vacation from. No need. 
That doesn't mean I won't take a vacation. I'm just saying I don't feel like I need it. I don't need it, okay? So here's my burning bush experience. Before the recession of, I would say, the period of 2006 to 2010, God had actually buffered our family for the upcoming famine. Just I didn't know that. <laughs> we didn't know there was a famine. He had buffered our family. And unlike Joseph, we were not good stewards of that plenty. I had a strong hand in killing our fabulous future. I spent money like it grew on trees. I had no budget and saw no need for one. After all, budgets were for people with money restrictions. Genesis 41 verse 31 says, the time of plenty will be entirely forgotten because the famine which follows will be so terrible. So this is out of the story of Joseph. So God had buffered our family and here it is now you'd think with all that money, we'd be okay. Well, we weren't. I remember driving to my church and sitting in the parking lot around midnight and I was in boo-hoo tears, almost blaming God for my bad fortune, right there in the car. My blame prayer was interrupted with a holy rebuke. God may as well have spoken audibly because I certainly heard clearly, why are you crying? Your situation could be worse if not for my mercy. I immediately saw that, like myself, many people were in a similar situation. The peace that had suddenly come over me and the confidence that God was in control and all things would work out for my good was a message I knew others needed to hear as well. We also needed to accept that Christians who were poor stewards contributed to their situation and that the lesson of being good managers of what God puts in our hands was the way out of the recessionary hole. So a few nights later, I remember waking up at 3 a.m. and the words blazing in urgency, debt-free wealth, debt-free wealth, debt-free wealth. I woke up immediately. I needed no coffee, guys. I woke up, I was energized, I was excited, and I was scared. So I argued with God. I'm not the right person for this job. I am deep in debt. I had just lost three investment properties to foreclosure. I constantly peeped through my window blinds to see if the repo man had come to take our new vehicles that and nobody wanted to answer the phone anymore in our house. It was rarely a friendly voice on the other end. And I was not even sure that I believed debt-free wealth was even possible in this land of credit scores and money whores. I certainly didn't want to go back to the very people who knew me, the ones that I was now hiding from, because this girl was now living in her desert. And now I'm to go and ask them to follow me? I certainly also didn't want to face my pharaoh. The debt and the debtors are hard slave drivers and messing with them can cause huge challenges to anybody's financial future. Yet the phrase debt-free wealth blazed in my heart and it could not be contained. It could not be contained, I could not ignore it. I had a why, a where, and a who, but I did not have a how. So here it is. Because there are too many Christians in line for a handout and not enough of us in a position to offer a hand up, that's the why, I guide US-based 
that's the where. Christian income earners, that's the who. To be more, have more, and give more. So I'll read it again without the who, where, and why. Because there are too many Christians in line for a handout and not enough of us in a position to offer a hand up, I guide US-based Christian income earners to be more, have more, and give more. I finally accepted my mission and began to have a life that I was excited to wake up to. Things really hadn't changed much, but my mind had changed. I had a sense of peace and I certainly had a sense of purpose. So blind, I launched at 3 a.m. that morning, September 3rd, 2010. I jumped out of my bed, no coffee necessary, and I purchased several domains that had the word debt-free wealth in it, debt-free wealth TV, debt-free wealth radio, debt-freewealth.org. And some of them are still in use today, debt-free wealth academy. I bought them all. <laughs> I tend to do that. So I sat with my Bible and I turned my Bible into a resource for research. What did God really mean by debt-free wealth? And how did he suggest that I accomplish that? So what I had was a mind that was transformed, a transformed mind. So you see, in my financial training and my background as a real estate broker, so I hold several financial licenses, guys, but as a real estate broker, we're taught that debt is leveraged to obtain assets. That's how it's done. You leverage debt to obtain assets. That's the way it is according to the world and according to my instructors. And, you know, there, there may be something to that, but I just, you know, the, the, the dependence on debt and the just the, the, the beeline for debt. And then when I was doing foreign exchange trading, the foreign exchange trading school taught me to in, that investing in the currency market, we could leverage debt as much as 100 to 1. And what that meant was I could spend 100 times the actual hard cash that I had invested in the market. And here was God suggesting wealth, debt-free, Hmm. Well, what he showed me, I poured into a book. And that book is titled The Bible on Business. The process of study and implementing what I learned in that process started to reveal the how. My debt decreased, and I realized that there actually is a better life on the other side of zero. See, using debt to acquire assets, there may be a strategy there, but some people end up having a negative net worth and pretending wealth. I have a headline from uh, USA Today. It's a 2006, 2016, 2016 headline from USA Today where Kanye West had tweeted that he was 53 million in personal debt. And we will not argue that he lives a lavish lifestyle with his wife, Kim Kardashian. So it's, it's all fine and well to have the lifestyle. And that's what everybody looks at. But he was in negative net worth by millions and millions of dollars. So initially, I branded under the debt-free wealth banner. Pretty much everything I did. Debt-free wealth banner, debt-free wealth academy, debt-free wealth radio, debt-free wealth.org. I had everything was debt-free wealth. And much of my content still carries that label. However, as my journey to debt-free wealth unfolded, God finally gave me handles on the how. You see, guys, 
profitable stewardship. Profitable stewardship creates debt-free wealth. You see, debt-free wealth was the, the vision. It's like when he showed uh, Moses that they were going to have the promised land. He showed them the promised land. He told them, this is where I'm taking you. But it was a day-by-day -day basis of knowing where they were going to go next. They had the where they were going, but they didn't know how they were going to get there. And finally, God told me the debt-free wealth was the end result. The process to it is profitable stewardship. So profitable stewardship creates debt-free wealth. That is the how. So now I had a renewed mind and my renewed mind changed my life. I started to do everything different. That budget we talked about before, I absolutely have one and live by it, okay? I, I'm, I'm an advocate for being a good steward of what God has put under our control. And I'm very much going to take responsibility for it, for being a good steward of, of what God has put under my control and not play the blame game. So stewardship is a management term mostly used by Christians to, do, to demonstrate that all we have actually belongs to God, but is under our management. So it is a regular term, but you'll find that mostly Christians use it. And profit, guys, is the realm of more. Profit is a realm of more. It is all the extra after the expenses. It's the, this is the true realm of more. You talk about abundance, you're really talking about profit, okay? So if you're thinking that abundance is having a, a, a fake lifestyle so that everybody's impressed but you're in negative numbers, no, that's not it. Profit is a true realm of more. Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30 shares the parable of the talents. And in this story, we see three stewards and one of them had a zero return on the investment. In fact, he buried it and returned it to the master as is. And the master deemed him very unworthy. And the, the one talent he did have, he handed it over to the steward who had been given five and made five more. So he invested the five and he returned a profit of five more. It is through profit that we participate in the, gener in the generation of abundance. When we're good students of what we have under our control in the first place, the Bible tells us that if we're faithful in the little things, that we will be given more. So God finally showed me how. See, we are to examine what God has already given to us as assets. And these assets, guys, are things that we can manipulate towards profitability. So an example of this is time. Time is an asset. It's a non-renewable asset. God has given all of us time, not all of us in equal amounts now. Because if you go back to the story of the parable, one got one, one got two, one got five. God, God is not into an equal and equitable dis distribution. He gives us according to our abilities. But we all have the asset of time. And this is a non-renewable asset. How are you using your time? The next asset that all of us have had is a mind. And this mind is renewable. This is a renewable asset. Okay? And some of us are just not using it at all. Then we have our bodies. Now, our bodies is a depreciating asset. And as time TikToks away, uh, some of us have helped it to depreciate faster, of which I'm somewhat guilty. You know, we help to depreciate this physical vehicle that allows us to stay on this side of eternity. Now, how we manipulate these equation pieces is how we end up with a result. And that result can be unlimited. That result is 
the sweat of our brow. Guys, work has to be a piece of that equation. Now, for some of us, the work is easier. We may be in a cushy palace. And for some of us, the work is hard. We're out in the, in the desert tending sheep. But at the end of the day, work is an important component of that equation and how we manipulate and use these assets, the, the, the non-renewable, the renewable, and the depreciating asset is how we choose to use them, is how we end up with whatever result we have. See, the vision dictates the journey. The vision dictates a journey. Think of your GPS, where you wanna end up dictates a journey. There may be many routes to get there, but the end result dictates a journey. So with this knowledge, I rebranded my business as Profitable Stewardship Inc. because it became very clear to me that profitable stewardship creates debt-free wealth. Okay, so that's how I rebranded. Same business, same job, same everything, but I did rebrand. Debt-free wealth is the result of being a profitable steward. So the life of a profitable steward is an exciting one. It is an exciting one. Profit is the extra earned after subtracting the investment. And investment itself is a risk-filled adventure. Anybody who invests anything knows it is a risk-filled adventure. So profit does not eliminate debt of itself. Guys, <laughs> Kanye West makes a lot of money. It doesn't magically eliminate the debt. That has to do with how you manage that money, right? Because there are many of us who make money and have no clue how to keep it. Earning money, managing money, and keeping money are different skill sets. So now it's your turn. It's your turn. One, acknowledge the call on your life to its purposeful adventure. Acknowledge that call. If I asked you to speak via a phone conference to an audience for 30 minutes with very little preparation time, what topic could you easily speak about and speak for 30 minutes? That will be a huge aha, a huge hint to where your purpose lies. And trust me, guys, do not discount it. If it's art, if it's hiking, if it's fishing, you can monetize all of that. The thing is, the thing that comes naturally to you, we tend to discount and just, eh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal because somebody else is looking for that skill set, right? So whatever comes naturally to you, whatever you get excited about, whatever you could talk continuously about is going to be a huge clue as to where your purpose and, uh, and, and adventure lies. Okay, so that's step one, acknowledge the call. Number two, Find an influencer who is doing something similar and review their content strategies and style. Now, God may not show up and give you a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that you know what next step to take. However, if you do this step, if you do this step, then you will know that your influencer's success leaves a trail of clues. The goal here is not to copy the influencer, nor to convince yourself that since they're already doing it, that your voice is unnecessary. No, 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 no. This is a step that should hopefully motivate you that what you're doing is worthwhile. If they're doing it and making a success out of it, it's something worthwhile doing. And then what you do is you look at what they're doing and get inspired to come up with your own spin and maybe even to find unserved gaps that you can cover. 
If you're a Christian, research that Bible. Research your Bible for applicable references. I have found that the Bible is a manual for business with very, very relevant tips that you can implement. I have a video uh, of one of the sections of my uh, book, The Bible on Business, and there was a verse right out of the Bible that talks about build your business before you build your house. Guys, that is a tip right out of the Bible, that you build your business before you build your house. Basically, you need to afford the lifestyle that you want to live. You need to afford the lifestyle you intend to live. So build your business before building your house. That's a tip right out of the Bible that's implementable. The next thing, guys, is identify your Pharaoh. Identify your Pharaoh. You may be very much aware of the call in your life, and you may be very scared of your Pharaoh. What is that? obvious challenge that you are definitely scared of. And if you're a Christian, let me encourage you with this. God did not give us a spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Okay. Now, number four is take an immediate step towards it. Even the tiniest baby step in the direction. Scared? Okay. You maybe take the scared step. Take the scared step. What do I mean by that? Sign up for a course. Reach out to a mentor. Make a declarative, declarative post on, on social media and say you're going to do it. Buy that domain name. Just take the first step right away when the idea is hot in your head. Take that first step and it make it a small commitment to your fantastic future. And if you do, an excitement will just, just start to whale up inside of you and you will find you're very excited the next day to get up and work on that thing just a little bit more. Now, just in case, just in case you need a little bit more guidance, a little bit more clarity, a little hand-holding, or just an objective ear to have an opinion and make some suggestions, I will leave a way for you to book a, a, some free chat time with me, okay? And some of you know some of you like me, just, you know, just ready. You're ready to do that. All right. So that's it for today, guys. That was my burning bush experience and my four tips that hopefully will help you wake up to a life that you're excited to live. Trudy here. I'm super simple to find and I do look forward to connecting with you.